1: Let's get started. Today, I talk with Joe Lynn Clemens, who is the CEO and founder of I've Been Vetted, a company that helps other companies improve risk management of employees with a risk scoring platform called Risk Karma. Like many other successful startups, Clemens found a need and sought to fill that need by providing a scoring system to help companies reduce risks to one of the most expensive areas of risk management human resources. Lynn came to entrepreneurship after the death of her father when she sought more flexibility while she was settling his estate. Using what she learned in her previous jobs in insurance and risk management, as well as an auditor with Lloyds of London, she set about developing tools to help companies better manage their risks and human resources. Clemens finds one of the keys to her success is employing efficient processes and and building relationships with clients. Now, let's get better together. Joe Lynn Clements, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you, Jari. Glad to be here.
1: Yeah, uh, appreciate your time and effort. I know uh, you're also part of Founders Network and helping me with my goal, um, my uh, trying to interview everyone in the San Francisco chapter. I think you're maybe number five or six. I'm actually losing count and track, which is good. That means a lot of people are signing up. Um, and I, I, I really want to talk about what you're working on, on the company I've been vetted. Cause I think in this day and age, there's going to be a lot more need for your service uh, for sure. Uh, but before we do that, as usual, I would love to hear the nickel tour of how you're doing, what you're doing now.
2: Yeah. You know, um, things are great. Uh, uh And that sounds very strange, but in a way things have uh, kind of slowed down all those other actions and options outside of the home. Um, You know, of course, uh, you know, very satin by some of the people that are getting sick and, uh, you know, having to deal with this COVID-19 pandemic that we have going on. Uh, But um, most of the people I've talked to um, that are, you know, quarantined and, and uh, you know, doing what's necessary, uh, they're finding other things, right? They're reading more, they are, you know, doing some physical activity outdoors. Um, here, uh, I, I've been doing quite a bit of hiking and uh, golfing, actually, because the golf courses are pretty deserted. So that works. And uh, yeah, so that's that and getting a lot done, you know, on the work front as well as, as my team.
1: Great, great. And so you, you started out your career in risk management, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Correct. Correct.
1: uh, I'm sure a lot of people are trying to figure that out right now, (laughs) like how to mitigate (laughs) some of the challenges. Like no, yeah, no one would have known. I love that. I love that. It's like, no, you just didn't plan for it. So why don't you, Tell me a little bit about like your early career and how that evolved to what you're doing now.
2: Yeah, I actually you know, started out in the insurance arena, um, which insurance and risk go are hand in hand as part of the risk management process. And uh, I actually started uh, uh, working more so with commercial clients. And in doing so, um, I became more and more aware of their risks. And this was at uh, both a risk management company and an insurance company. And I managed litigation of uh, a department for a large insurer. And I noticed that there was this big trend of negligent hiring lawsuit settlements, you know, uh, just exploding. But, you know, a, a, a statistic is 1.6 million is the average settlement for negligent hiring lawsuit. And that's just one incident. Hmm. So after seeing that and thinking about the implications uh, for society, especially with the growing gig economy and more and more remote and field workers, um, I decided to try to tackle that issue.
1: Hmm. And, And what do you mean by negligent hire? I'm not familiar with that term.
2: Yeah, negligent hiring is when a company becomes responsible for the actions of their worker. And the lawsuit, the cause of action, that's part of it is that the uh, employer was negligent in their hiring practices. And it can also uh, go into negligent supervision and training as well. So they're kind of in the same bucket.
1: Oh, so you're like, okay, so... Let's say you hire someone and you didn't do the proper background check or you didn't vet them correctly. And then they end up doing something bad, whatever that may be. Then not only can the person that's been harmed obviously go after the person that harmed them, but they can also go after the company. Is that is that right? Correct.
2: Exactly. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah. Huh. So that's the reason and that's- why. Oh, go ahead.
2: Oh, no, I was going to say that that is even more so now, believe it or not, because some courts have changed the definition of who is an employee to include contractors and vendors in several jurisdictions. I'm sure you've seen the whole uh, Uber uh, lawsuits coming out of California.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: So that puts that that bigger burden on the employer.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, especially with the gig economy, I mean, I'm not not sure how much of our economy is the gig economy or at least it was <laughs> before <clears throat> all this covid chaos or craziness or whatever we want to call it and so so from from corporate risk management insurance which seems super interesting to me <laughs> maybe i don't know if you're into that i guess um how did you kind of then get into doing startups because that's a lot different risk profile i would think <laughs>
2: Right, and so what happened? It was uh, kind of interesting. It's all about timing. Uh, what happened? Uh, there was a, a a a situation occurred and presented itself. My father actually passed away, which was a bad thing. Oh, um, and during that time, I left uh, where I was working on sabbatical to take care of his estate, uh, and I was approached by a company that conducts audits. Um, pardon me, audits for Lloyds of London. And I decided to take that position in the interim while handling my father's estate in Ohio, in another state, because it gave me flexibility while I was handling it. Um, And I had already kind of thought in the back of my mind about uh, how to address this, you know, issue of negligent hiring. And I thought, you know, This opportunity, becoming an auditor on behalf of Lloyd's allowed me to interview brokers uh, to determine what the impact is on premiums and exposure and risk conditions um, when uh, the exposure is reduced. So that gave me the unique opportunity to interview uh, one of our target customers. Because we're a multi-sided uh, marketplace, actually, uh, the brokers on one end and the HR. and risk professionals on the other.
1: Oh, okay, so so <clears throat> let me just like walk through my head because sometimes this insurance stuff just confuses me, but anyway, that's just me. <clears throat> so one side, you've got HR. professionals, a company trying to figure out, okay, if I hire this person, like are they, are they okay? Right, and then on the other side, you've got these insurance brokers, the people that give insurance to companies that say, "Hey, if you use tool X Y Z, we'll give you a deal." Um, exactly, because it reduces their risk, and some actuary somewhere has done the math, right? Um, Correct. Correct. Okay. 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 Cool. And so, like, how, I mean, do you? It sounds like you don't have a technical background, if I'm not mistaken, or or do you?
2: No, I don't. But now I'm, I, am you know, what happens in a startup, all of a sudden, you start understanding things, right? right. When you're in the weeds. So um, we have an advisory uh, CTO. And I'm actually uh, uh, in the process, I've, I've actually passed one part of it for data science, but we have data scientists on our team. And, uh, you know, uh, great advisors and and teammates too, that are executives that have been in, you know, banking, insurance and uh, risk as well. So, so that's been very helpful. And just to clarify too, we're more, although negligent hiring uh, sounds like something that's before uh, someone gets hired, we are post-employment play. So um, there's nothing that's being done uh, after someone's employed. Right. Hmm. And, you know, years later, you know, conditions change in their life and circumstances and that's generally when people especially when it comes to embezzlement or theft i mean there's been uh you know five billion annually is lost due to theft for companies and that's something it takes someone a while to understand the processes and how to navigate um and find and determine how to you know uh you know, take whether it's money or other items, right? So um, our platform, it's a SaaS-based platform that actually scores the workers in real time after they're employed.
1: Hmm. I mean, how does it do that?
2: So it attaches to existing HR, payroll, and risk systems. And it ta- so it takes existing information they have Uh, So we aggregate the data and then score it.
1: Okay. So like a credit score, but like a risk assessment score. I don't know. I don't know what what, you guys call it a risk assessment score. Is there some cool acronym?
2: Yes. um, uh, The actual platform is called Risk Karma. And there's three parts of it. So there's an employer IQ, which looks at the practices and policies of the employer, Worker IQ is the actual real time scoring of the uh, workers, and it does break down by occupation and department. And then my IQ is the workers' portal. So they actually have a portal that lets them see their score. So they are also vested in, you know, uh, maintaining a good score, which then in turn uh, increases the safety of the workplace.
1: So have employers, I'm sorry, employees or unions kind of been not cool with this? It sounds like it's like more of a, well, I'm not going to say it's like a big brother thing because I didn't say that, but I'm just, I want to just unpack this a little bit more.
2: Right. No, this is more, these are things that you would not want your coworker to do. Remember, we're talking about crimes. Mm, So- Um, The actions that are taken, you would not want to work alongside someone that is doing uh, these particular actions, um, and we refer to them as risk factors. So, um, and these are things that are already in the file. It's in the worker file, and they're not shared with anyone, right? So they're within the company, and and it's the worker's risk profile, so it's theirs. And in their profile, they could actually upload documents as well, like certificates, um, any training materials. And and they, owning that risk profile, if they wish to, they can port it to the next employer to be a more favorable hiring candidate. So it's a benefit for them. And so our whole goal is to create transparency and accountability um in the human capital supply chain.
1: Right, right. So <clears throat> as a worker, it's in my best interest to have a high score or
2: Right. And you start with one, right? You start with a high score. Oh, okay. And it's it's uh the worker can Uh, Work towards maintaining it, which isn't hard actually, because, like I said, these actions are things that you would not want your coworker to be doing anyway. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so, and it's information from within the organization. So, uh, and and that is scored based on, uh, you know, the weight based on severity and frequency. Uh, So it it's a it's of benefit to the worker as well, Uh, and they can if they get a reduction in score based on certain factors occurring, they can improve their score through training. Uh, so if they take compliance training, they get a fraction of a point back as well.
1: Oh, okay. So that there's sort of, it's it's sort of like a way to improve and then you get this score, kind of like how you do it on your credit score, I guess. Uh
2: Exactly.
1: I don't know how that works either. <laughs> it's just super, <laughs> super confusing to me. Just because, wow, just sometimes it just changes all the time. So, is, is this your first startup?
2: Uh, no, it's not. I had one in uh, uh, called uh, Verisil. Is the company, and it looked at uh, more personal transactions and safety in that regard.
1: So, like, who, who would use that? Who would have used that product, or? is it still around like
2: people that are putting things for sale on uh like say a craigslist
1: uh-huh.
2: um, you know uh, or you know personal meetings or transactions of any type
1: oh. is a company so that they
2: know the person's safe
1: oh okay is a company still around it is oh cool cool yeah so second startup coming from the corporate world insurance what's mm-hmm. the difference i mean what what have you had to change your daily habits or you know, were you always entrepreneurial or was it just sort of like fell into it? I mean, you know, losing a parent, I mean, just sucks in general. I mean, losing any loved one sucks, but having to go through the process of yeah, their estate and all that kind of thing has a different level. Was that, was that sort of like a aha moment or something or was it, what was it?
2: Yeah, you know when that happened, and I thought, you know what? Why not? Why not try it, right? And I had actually spoken to um, some HR professionals that I knew, so um, they thought, wow, that would be great. It doesn't exist, um, so um, you know I thought, you know why wait for it? You might as well create it, right? And uh, my parents actually. Uh, were entrepreneurs. So my mom uh, was a dentist. My father was an aerial photographer. He had his own business. He helped kind of uh, you know survey uh, areas in Ohio for like golf courses and what have you. Had his plane and oh
1: wow, so cool.
2: it was really really. Uh, uh, Um, I really enjoyed working in, in the insurance industry, but the other part of it was, you know, I was compiling this information and just contemplating, you know, building it as I continued to stay at the insurance company, but there was not as much flexibility. So when it came time to return, I decided to just keep on and stay with the audits because there was flexibility in that and I could continue to build it.
1: Cool. What kind of plane did your dad have, do you know?
2: A Cessna? I I don't know. My brother knows the model, but it's a, se- a Cessna.
1: <laughs> I used to fly when I was 18. So Very cool. Uh, a- anytime I like any kind of piloty stuff, I I'm like a, such a nerd on. And I flew 152s. So Cessna 152, Cessna 172. 152 is two a two seater. A 172 is a four seater. My guess is if he had his own photography come, it was probably a 172 because they're bigger. Probably. Yeah. But that was super cool that he's like flying around Ohio taking pictures. Well, funny,
2: stuff. funny uh, and neat uh, date that my parents had. So uh, my dad tells my mom, hey, um, how would you like a Boston cooler? Of course, my mother did not know he had a plane. So he they're driving along, you know, and he takes her to the airfield onto a plane to get a Boston cooler in Boston. I mean I can't say, say no to that. I mean yeah
1: well, that's pretty slick dad I, I did yeah. that I did that too. I did that too. But wow. I was I was oh. like I couldn't drink right but I would I would take dates up in planes and at <laughs> one time. One time it didn't go so well and she threw up and it was pretty <laughs> awful. I mean it wasn't she's nervous. And, and I, it wasn't even bumpy. I, I mean, we literally like flew around the pattern and landed, but she got really sick and I thought I can
2: identify. So, um, I didn't get sick, but, um, when my father was in the hospital, I did one of those living social deals down the street from me, there's Sawyer aviation Mm -hmm. and they allow you to go up in a Cessna and, and fly around. So, I went to the uh, airfield, went on the video simulation first, and then they said, okay, you're ready. And I believe you keep your nose at 15 and then you turn at 20 degrees, I believe it was. And I was flying and I swear it feels like a toy plane because yeah. it's so light, but it's fun. Yeah. And there's no parachutes, right? Because of the no. weight. No. So that was very interesting, but I'm glad that I was able to do it. I made a point. To stay away from mountain ranges, though.
1: Yeah. No, no. I mean, yeah. the, <laughs> you either have the bug to fly or you don't. And It's just funny right. because everyone's like, oh, it seems so hard. I'm like, well, you know, it's not that hard. There's only two times where it's hard taking off and landing. The rest of it is absolute boredom, sheer True. boredom, but freedom. Can, right. There's so much freedom. Like the freedom. Right. You know, I think that's why I like being an entrepreneur, because there's more, more freedom that way. I agree. So, so, wow. Okay. Um, I mean, so, so, so dad, mom and dad are entrepreneurs. You sort of saw how it worked. How different was it when you kind of took the plunge? I mean, what what did you have to do differently than your normal corporate gig?
2: Like every hat, In the closet. (laughs) So, you know, there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes in corporate America that are already being taken care of. Right. Um, So, you know, learning a lot about marketing, about finance and forecasting and um, processes. Right. So um, I was have always been pretty organized and process management is a big deal for me. And I think that's been helpful. Uh, And uh, but in the startup world, even more so, Uh, you really have to start uh, documenting your processes and automating your processes. Those are two of the main things that are crucial for growth.
1: Yeah. And a lot, not, not a lot of startup folk get that. No. I mean, they're all about like move fast and break things, but how are you going to move fast and break things when you don't know what you're doing?
2: (laughs) True. The other key, right. is to make certain you fill the holes of knowledge that you don't have with your teammates and your advisors. Right.
1: Yeah, totally. No, I mean, you don't know what you don't know when you get into it. True. That's why I'm always like impressed by, well, I'm impressed by anyone that starts anything just because it's so hard, but I never, every, I, I know people that are like, well, you know, Name big company here, right? Doing the same thing, they're going to crush you. And I'm like, no way in hell are they going to crush us. They have no idea what we're doing, and they're so distracted on name it. They're looking for a you know, if they're a ten billion dollar company, they're looking for the next billion dollar business. They're not even going to worry about our little you know, fifty k, hundred k monthly recurring revenue, which which we feel is like we're awesome. They're like. It's not even rounding error. Right. You know, um, and I do, but I do think it's interesting that, 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 that process that's really critical. And so at your startup right now, what, what kind of processes do you think are the most important?
2: Well, I think the onboarding, because that's so important to reduce churn, uh, you know, how well you do that and, and beyond, right. Your post onboarding practices, uh, because they're important. You want to maintain a cohort with uh, uh, that you're measuring from, you know, the beginning. And, and, and the key is to, you know, that's one of your competitive edges is to maintain and, and provide a level of customer service that they can't get elsewhere. You know, that relationship building piece. As well, uh, it allows you to understand um, what features are important for your roadmap. So the uh, those listening skills are, are crucial as well.
1: So what what's your onboarding process like? Is it is it decently complicated to get on board with what you're doing or is it yet another SAS login?
2: That everyone no. else has? <laughs> yeah. You you we you actually have to speak to a representative uh-huh. um, because it is You know, it's more uh, of an industry, uh, uh, you know, knowledge that you have. There's there's a knowledge base that's involved. So um, although it's very user friendly, um, we do uh, onboard with uh, sufficient resources so that they understand the platform. And uh, we also provide some self-service components as well. But um, we give them a lot of resources so that they, you know, have the tools to start in right away. And we also set a date um, after they've onboarded their workers uh, to have another meeting so that we give them goals as well. By this time, you know, we want you to go through this these materials. And then by this time, um, we want your workers onboarded and then we'll go to the next stages, right? Uh, so, so that's how we do it.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, I, I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot for various reasons. Well, one, one of which is my, uh, my cousin, Willie, who has a, a podcast called the sales lab, because he's a professor in Florida state. Tallahassee, you know, Dr. Willie Bolander, you know, uh, if you would have known him as a kid, you're like, how did that happen? <laughs> so <laughs> shout out to Willie. If you're listening, I'm, I'm going to have him on the pod soon because he's, you know, now that he has his, you know, we're cousins, you know, we help each other out. Um, but one of the things he studies sales and persuasion and all that sort of stuff. And one of the things I've, I'm starting just to now touch into, and I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because, um, onboarding and retention or onboarding and productivity seem to be something that not a lot of folks focus on. I mean, it may not be entirely the case, but from my experience, that's the whole, that's really hard. So, if you're going to get someone to buy, right? That's hard. But now they're onboarding and then 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 they got to be productive, and if they're not productive, they're going to get frustrated and they're going to leave.
2: Exactly.
1: So, so so is there anything you've learned on that onboarding and productivity piece? that other than, you know, the follow-up and giving them goals, is there any kind of nuggets of wisdom there? Because that seems like ripe for improvement for for anyone, I think.
2: True. You know, I, I think just having those follow-up meetings scheduled with the goals, and, I you know, I also provide a timeline and resources, uh, and I think that that's important, and that way it becomes, you know, Simple, simple for them, and then they know that if they have questions down the line, they're actually speaking to a person. Hmm. Uh, and you know, I think I think that that's very valuable because they become your promoters.
1: Yeah, um, well, that's that's the reason why I bring it up because mm-hmm. those are the best. That's the best marketing you can get.
2: <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. I agree, and and including some level of of virility in the platform is is important as well. So we do allow, say, if there's an employer that has contractors or vendors that they're working with, they can refer them to utilize the platform also.
1: Hmm. So, so it helps
2: with vendor man- management as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of like the B2, B2C model with kind of affiliate slash ambassador, but at the B2B level. Because right. I'm assuming that, you go right to, it's a B2B sale, and then the employees got to come on through the business.
2: Exactly.
1: Cool, cool. And so, so how, how long have you been with Founders Network? I'm curious.
2: You know, let's see here. I think it's been about two years. Um, last year, I was on the Women's Leadership Committee and okay. worked with Hillary and Amy, and, you know, just a great, it's just a great group. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Extremely I'm pretty valuable. impressed. Yeah. I'm pretty uh-huh. impressed
1: by, by how, by how they are trying to help female founders, because, you know, we, you talk a lot about like the world of entrepreneurship. And I always say, you know, female founders get 1% of the funding and then minority female founders get 1% of the 1%. So in one sense, Minority female founders are the cream of cream and cream of the crop, (laughs) right? But it's kind of backwards because, you know, this, this job, anyone can do this. So, so as a, as a female founder, have you, what are some of the things you've run into? I mean, how, how has it been for you?
2: Hmm. You know, I think the benefit is that I've been in the industry uh, for a long time. And so the people that I'm talking to already know, um, my, uh, my level of expertise, so to speak. And so that's been very helpful. Um, prior to starting this, um, uh, I'm a member of CPCU society, which is, uh, an insurance association that's international. And I've been an officer there. I, I was delegate ambassador to China for them. And I also was the regional chair for claims litigation management. So, um, You know, and I'm a a member of RIMS. So that affords me, you know, uh, contact with our target as well as, you know, a level of credibility. And I've written some articles. And as part of our platform, uh, uh, not related, but on the side, we have an employer liability panel where we address emerging issues for HR and risk professionals every quarter.
1: So so are some of these like the 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 stuff that all the Me Too movements brought up, is that being becoming more and more part of how companies are trying to mitigate risk or at least train folks to not be such, I mean, a-holes <laughs> for lack of a better word?
2: <laughs> yes, yes, there is. Um there, you know, to some extent, I'm sure you've heard of GRC, which the gover- government's governance um you know, risk and compliance, and and they're looking at, you know, social impact, all of that counts, you know, for uh, the value of a company and and for investors as well. So it definitely comes into play.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm hoping that that'll accelerate more and more. Um, It just seems like way overdue. And just not the right way to go. I mean, it's just, it's a little bit silly almost, but you sort of understand in one sense, the history of it and how, how we got to where we are um, and how we need to get to do better. And clearly I want to help with that. And that's why I write and do all this podcasting and books and stuff like that. Uh, Cause I think that entrepreneurship should be for everyone because it's not that hard. They don't have to be that bright. I mean, I can do right, it. Anyone right. can do it, right? It's, true, that, true. it's a question of I agree. hustle and hard work. So, so wow. So, are are you doing anything else with Founders Network? Are you are you still on the women's leadership?
2: No, not not this year. Just because things have really picked up okay. um, with the company, so um, I wasn't able to uh, afford the time. Uh, required, which it's not overburdensome, but if I can't do something at the level that I'd like to, then I'm not going to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I I do attend a lot of their sessions when I can and, um, you know, help out. And I really like that they'll have a presentation and then they'll have a breakout room Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you can speak directly to other founders and assist each other. And um, sometimes there might be a complementary business that is actually something that uh, can be beneficial for cross promotion. So that can happen also.
1: Yeah, totally. No, I mean you know, peer <clears throat> peer mentorship, especially in this job, <laughs> since it's so hard. It's really hard. I don't. Some days I wonder, like, ah, maybe I should just go back to a corporate gig. <laughs> but then I realize, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm really pretty much unemployable. When it comes to that, N- not not to say that I'm not manageable. It's just I don't like to be managed. You know, right, and I think right. a lot of entrepreneurs and founders are the same way. Uh, so, what what about like what's sort of your daily routine like? I mean, you know, I know we're all sort of sheltered in place now, and our whole world's on Zoom, which I'm getting pretty sick of <laughs> I yeah. can't wait to have coffee with someone again uh True. you know what, so what's what's your daily what's your daily schedule like
2: well I wake up extra early now because I do um I like to start the day um meeting with the developers um and one thing that helps me mentally is to do some type of physical activity so I'll get up early and uh take a bike ride um or walk And then when I get back, you know, begin the meeting, Um, I will have the the day before kind of prepared some notes on what to go through. And then after that, uh, we're looking at uh, usually uh, metrics to see, you know, how those are going um, with the COO and then uh, also working with marketing to see if there's, you know, uh, because there's different segments, right? So a big segment for us is transportation industry, healthcare, uh, professional services. And, you know, there's a lot of compliance uh, involved in those industries. So we're also catching up on, you know, relevant information that we can pass on because, you know, we want to be beneficial uh, as a knowledge base as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, do you do you work the the standard twelve hour day, <laughs> oh, fifteen hour day, or whatever?
2: <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, okay. yeah. My yeah my my husband, you know, he understands it, and he's really uh, a great supporter uh, of you know what we're doing. And um, but yeah, it's it's it, it's intense. But I mean, you do get your your breaks, right? You the the more efficient you you are, the more time you have. Right. So we're, we are always looking at improving our processes.
1: Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a pretty big component of your life in general or your career in general, especially True. coming from a highly regulated industry where my guess is the so, quote unquote TPS reports must be pretty hot. <laughs> right. right. Um, is your fellow founders, how do they handle the whole process? Thing is, it harder, easier?
2: Or- no, uh, we have. So uh, my team they they've all they're all management level mm-hmm. executives, and and from the banking side, from
1: right, you know, right, right.
2: operations like you know, Amazon, Stitch Fix, um, you know, uh, companies like that, uh, BBVA Bank Fraud Strategy. Wow. So everyone gets it you know and they understand that you know the process management piece of it uh, is is extremely important uh you know for the efficiency of the of the company so that nothing falls through the the uh uh you know falls through the uh loop or um or if there's an opportunity to improve as well
1: yeah yeah i mean the reason why i bring that up is that um like we talked about before, sometimes people in the startup world are like process. It's almost like artists, right? Like I don't have a process, man. I just sort of like the words flow for me, you know? And like, no, you have a process. Everyone has a process. They just call it something different.
2: Exactly.
1: And and, and having a culture like that, I think is one of the things that at least I try to instill in some of the young entrepreneurs that I mentor, um, that you can't Break the rules until you know the rules. I think is the good True. way to put it. Um, and so yeah, so that's a that's a very interesting way to do it. Do, do you guys use your own software at your company, or is it not kind of meant for? Oh
2: yes. Oh, cool.
1: definitely. Oh, <laughs> yeah. cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. So you, uh, so you are users as well. Yes. Awesome, yes. awesome. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting when when a company uses their own stuff gets a little more, I don't know, I think it's, a, I remember when I was working at a company and I, I didn't, I was, this is a DNA sequencing company and I, I don't know anything about, I don't know how to sequence DNA. I just know how to do, was at the time doing chip development, product engineering. And I remember the, the CEO's like, you know, you engineers should go try to run an assay on the machine that you're working on, Right an assay is like a biology stuff, right? Well, I self-selected out of biology for a reason. <laughs> I yeah. like physics. Physics is like, there's laws and rules. Biology, mm-hmm. it's the Wild West, man. No, nobody knows. Nobody knows. They say they do. I mean, especially now, like during the whole COVID thing, right? A lot of those pieces of equipment that I worked on are now being used to sequence COVID-19 wow. and the assays and all that. So I know the buzzwords, mm-hmm. but I remember like they paired us with a, what we call mobile or molecular biologists. And they're like, mm-hmm. we're going to show you how to run this assay. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there going, I'm thinking in my mind, there's like a, there's gotta be a better way to do this. So labor intensive with pipettes and hoods. And and I just remember just like, I, I so thankful that I've got physics on my side. <laughs> and I don't have to worry about biology because it's so complicated. And I can imagine that the regulations and insurance and liability, I mean, you, you guys must have a lot of liability insurance or you must have a team of lawyers that just sit there and be like, Oh, can't do that. You know, is, do you have like True. a big legal staff to handle all that?
2: We do. We do. And you know, the great thing is that it's permission based and, and privacy protected. So that's the main piece of our platform. So like I indicated previously, once a worker leaves uh, their risk profile, is no longer a part of that organization. Oh, okay. And so th- it's theirs. It's theirs to keep. It's their portable risk profile. So, um so that's and we designed it, you know, with that in mind.
1: Right, right, right. Because I got to believe that privacy is a big thing, especially mm-hmm. once you get over in Europe. Are, are you just in the U.S. or are you in Europe too?
2: We're in the U.S.
1: Okay. Yeah. Europe will be a whole other world.
2: <laughs> right. GDPR, we're already GDPR and uh, CCPA compliant, so that's good. Okay. Um, we did that in advance. So, um, you know, we don't foresee any issues uh, when we do expand, but right now we're US, then Canada.
1: That's mm-hmm. usually the way it goes US mm-hmm. and then US light. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> up there you north. Go. north. <laughs> exactly um so so yeah so i mean the so the how how old is the company did you mention that i don't remember if you told me um 2 years 2 years okay mm-hmm. and uh i'm assuming you know some revenue and the the whole metrics that matter and are you uh are you venture backed or did you guys bootstrap no those?
2: we're bootstrapping
1: wow yeah Wow. How's that been? How's that been?
2: It's been great, actually. What's been really neat and encouraging so that in the event we need the assistance later, um, it's there, which is great. We've been contacted by some pretty top uh, investors. So but, you know, so far, just the way that it's been managed and um, the referral sources, uh, we've been able to grow you know, organically and, and, uh, you know, without any further assistance. And I don't know, we don't, we, we are all, we, we kind of took after the, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the Zappos Zappos. It's we're 100% remote, oh, which okay. helps keep the cost down as well.
1: Wow. So you guys had this whole working from home thing figured out before, Oh, the yeah. entire world had to figure exactly. it out. Exactly. Yes. So, so what are yes. some things you learned about working remote and remote teams that may be of benefit to those that are like struggling with that?
2: <laughs> yeah, you have to remain engaged. Yeah. You know, you have to meet um, as a team weekly and then one on ones as well. Uh, that's that's the key, you know, um, um, and, you know, having a secured a shared drive for uh, information that is outside, you know, that relates to the organization itself, whether it's requests or HR related um, uh, matters. Uh, but yeah, it, it really has not, it's not a difficult uh, transition, uh, especially with all the tools that are available.
1: Yeah. So what, what's the one productivity tool that you would say you cannot live without?
2: Wow. That's a good question.
1: You can have more than one if it's a stumper, but.
2: Yeah. Well, I know I, I love Zoom. I'm I'm look I'm thinking about um, also incorporating Loom, though, for our demos. Oh, okay. With customers. I understand that that's a, a great tool. So we're looking into that. But I, I love Zoom. Um, I think. And I I use, you know, the tools that uh, I bet the majority of startups use, uh, HubSpot, Zendesk, automation, of course, Um, you know, we use Slack channels. Uh, So there's nothing too unusual other than, you know, automating processes and linking things together and getting those reports. Uh, Clipfolio is, is, you know, great for your metrics.
1: Clipfolio, Uh, okay. Yes. I gotta, and gotta look it,
2: into it helps you uh, build uh, these dashboards for your metrics um, and and all the platforms that you use.
1: Clipfolio, huh? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'm gonna write that one down. I'm I'm always trying to find a better way to report metrics because it drives me insane that they're. Ev- I mean, it's everywhere. I can't. There's too much data. I've got true. You know, Google Analytics. You've got. If you have a Shopify store, you got Shopify. Then you've got Facebook ads. Then you've got your Mailchimp. Then you—I mean, just it's this litany of data that's everywhere. And you know, my—well, I mean, my philosophy is most people don't look at the data they collect. (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) but when I want to look at it, I want right. It's there
2: exactly. I mean, yeah, one stop.
1: Yeah, one's cool. So, what what kind of metrics do you guys take a look at to? Uh,
2: We we take a look at our CAC, of course, our. LTV, uh, are uh, we're big on churn mm-hmm. revenue, uh, you know, new new leads, uh, things along those lines. We've been lucky though. Uh, our team has quite a network, mm. uh, you know, through professional associations have been big. Uh, so we we really on occasion, you know, we'll get visitors from the website. But we are not necessarily marketing uh, to cold leads. A lot of times if someone knows someone, you know, so there's some type of a linkage there so far. But I'm sure that, you know, we are prepared in the event we run out, right? (laughs) And we have to, yeah, go through the list, right? But uh, so far, so far, it's been pretty much, you you know, warm to almost warm leads. So that's been good.
1: Wow. Well, you know, Joe Lynn, it's been great chatting. I really appreciate it. It has you. been a
2: pleasure. Yeah.
1: Appreciate you taking yeah. the time and telling us all about the wonderful, exciting world of insurance and risk management, <laughs> which, like, I know it's not the most sexiest thing, but essential. And like, right. lots of essential things will make money forever. Pretty much recession proof would be my guess. So, um, Thanks again. Stay safe. And uh, Thank you. soon I hope we can actually get a cup of coffee in person.
2: In One person. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it.
1: Wonderful. Thank you.
2: Okay. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting entrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter, at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.